Our scripture reading this morning comes from Exodus, the 12th chapter, verses 1 through 14. Hear now the word of our Lord. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with the nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the fourteenth day of the month. Then all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of His Holy Spirit. Amen. There's an old saying I love. Show me two Methodists and I'll show you three opinions. It's not far from the truth, is it? See, we Methodists are famously split on all sorts of issues. One thing we've been debating fiercely over the summer is whether or not we should be offering online communion during the pandemic. And the answers range from no, never, it totally goes against our theological understanding of communion to Yes, but just for now. It should go back to normal after this is over. To yes, and this has to be our new understanding of communion. Because online worship is here to stay. Now the Council of Bishops, rather than offering clarity, has decided that each conference should go its own way. In some conferences, online communion is banned. In others, it's merely discouraged. In our own, it's encouraged, but just for now. It all needs to go back to normal later. So this morning, we're left with the question, should we be doing this? But I think apart from the question of should we be doing this, is an even more important question, 
Will this even work? I'm talking about the way we're doing this this morning. Separated by both space and time. Is it really holy communion? Will this even work? See, we're disconnected, aren't we? We're separated across space. A lot of us are in independence, but not all of us. How can we be communing together if we're in separate homes? Isn't togetherness one of the most important aspects of Holy Communion? Now, even if we grant that we're connected virtually, and so in that sense we are together, as together as we would be if we're in the same room, the space problem doesn't end there. Because, see, there's this matter of the bread and the juice. I'm about to bless a lovely sourdough loaf of bread that Mary Young baked me and some Welch's grape juice that we bought at Food City. But you are singing in your home with different elements entirely. Some of you have the cup with the wafer on top from the church narthex. Others have sandwich bread or a hoagie bun, maybe crackers. See, soon I'm going to place my hands on these elements and ask the Holy Spirit to make them be for us, the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And from that moment on, they are consecrated, holy and set apart for a sacred meal. But will that consecration extend to the elements in your house? Will your bread be holy? Will your juice be set apart? Forget about if we should be doing this. Will this even work? To make it even more complicated, we're divided by time as well. See, I keep saying, soon I'm going to be blessing these elements. But if you're watching this on Sunday, I've already blessed these elements. I did it sitting in the picnic shelter on Friday afternoon. That way I have time to edit the video and bring it onto DVDs to deliver on Saturday. Some of you are watching Sunday at 11 a.m. Others are watching later during the week. So what does a bunch of things done and said in another house a couple of days ago have to do with you right now? Why are we acting like this is happening here in this room? It's a fair question. Forget should we. Will this even work? See, this morning's passage is about God's institution of the Passover. The Hebrew people are huddled in their homes on the eve of their deliverance, and God wants them to celebrate in a new way. See, there's an ancient wisdom in the Passover ritual that I believe can show us the way forward as we think about our own holy meal. Several years ago, my friend Ethan organized a Passover Seder for our friend group. He was so gracious to share his faith traditions with us, and I'll always be grateful for the experience. I learned a lot about Passover that night. See, Passover is meant to be experienced to be touched and tasted. Commentaries and study Bibles can only take you so far. See, the thing that struck me about Passover was how fun it is. See, there's good food, several glasses of wine or grape juice, depending on your mileage, and laughter, games for the kids. 
It's a time meant for family, and in our case, friends. At the heart of the Seder meal, though, is what's called the Haggadah. The Haggadah is this worship liturgy that takes the celebrants through the story of the Exodus. And the liturgy begins with a simple question. See, the youngest child present, in our case, William, it's their job to ask the host, why is tonight different than all other nights? And then the host will answer, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. And the Lord our God took us out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. If the Holy One, blessed be he, had not brought us out of Egypt, then we, our children, and our children's children would be slaves to Pharaoh still. And then the story begins. It's told ritually throughout the meal with symbolic foods, prayers, songs, and discussion. The thing that stuck out to me most was this simple statement. We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. It's a strange thing to say, isn't it? See, I checked several different versions of the Haggadah, and they all start that way. We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. What odd phrasing. See, it doesn't say our ancestors were slaves in Egypt. No, we, those of us gathered around this table, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and were it not for our God, we would be still. That is a strange thing for a 21st century Jewish man and a bunch of his Gentile friends to say. We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. What does a bunch of things done and said 3,000 years ago in a country most of us had never been to have to do with us? And why that night were we acting like it was happening there in that room? So I think Passover invites its celebrants to think of space and time differently than we're used to thinking about it. I think a more biblical way, really. See, our passage opens this morning with, with God rearranging the Hebrews calendar. He says, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. God wants from now on for the Hebrews to think differently about time. From now on, your year will begin with the story of God's deliverance, the story of the Exodus, the story of the Passover. See, it's easy to see how God is setting apart space and making it holy, right? Uh, he's, he's having the, uh, the, the Hebrews uh, take lamb's blood and put it on the, on the doorposts. But at the same time, he's setting aside time and making it holy. See, it's not merely just uh, an annual recurring date on their calendar, Passover is the time that they are invited to enter into year after year, a time set apart. See, in the Bible, God sets apart time and space as sacred. And whenever he does that, then the normal rules of space and time don't apply. See, the temple and the altar are conceived in the Old Testament as a sacred space 
where heaven and earth overlap and where the normal rules of space don't apply. In Genesis, we're told that God sets apart the Sabbath day and he makes it holy. He consecrates it. And it's not, near, uh, it's not just to, uh, to make a break in the week. It's a sacred time when all of creation stops and the past and the present overlap. See, in Jewish thought, every Sabbath is a chance to enter into God's rest. We're entering into that seventh day of creation when God ceased from his work. Passover, too, is about a sacred time and place that is set aside from normal time and space. It's a time when when, when the celebrant is invited to enter into, uh, into the this, this same space and time as the first Hebrews and proclaim with them, we were slaves in Egypt. Were it not for God, we would be still. Listen, I know this is starting to sound like one of those late night dorm room conversations you may have had in college, right? Like, what if we're all here, but we're not here, man? Whoa. You may think that what I'm saying about sacred time and space sounds like, like gobbledygook. But I'm willing to bet that you've experienced it. Think for a second about the most powerful worship experience you've ever had. Maybe it was in a country church with stained glass windows. Maybe it was in a big room with thousands of people and laser lights. But I'll bet no matter where you were, something happened that you have trouble explaining. That, that somehow during that powerful experience, you felt transported, didn't you? See, suddenly it was like your space and God's space overlapped. You were still where you were but you were also at the foot of the cross or at the empty tomb in the presence of the resurrected Christ or in the throne room of God. Maybe you felt suddenly as if, as if you were at once in your own time, but, but that you were also at another time, that they were somehow overlapping. Yes, you're singing Amazing Grace here and now, but you're also singing it along with all of the saints of the church. All those people you remember from your youth but who are no longer with us. Suddenly you feel as if they are in the room singing with you. See, you're here, but you're not. You're now, but you're also then. This is what I mean when I talk about sacred time and space. See, our Jewish brothers and sisters can boldly state at Passover that, that they were slaves in Egypt for the same reason that on Good Friday we can say, Were you there when they crucified my Lord? See, in both cases, God is inviting his people into a sacred time and place set apart from normal time and space. We're past and present here and there overlap. I believe this is no more true than during Holy Communion. 
See, Holy Communion is a sacred meal that invites us into God's time and place, where here and there, now and then, overlap. Holy Communion is sacred time and space. See, as Methodists, we use similar language when we talk about the bread and the wine. The pastor will, will say, may these gifts of bread and wine be for us the body and blood of Jesus Christ. See, we believe something profound happens during communion. It's not just symbolism. Even though the bread is still clearly bread and the grape juice is, clear, is still clearly grape juice, somehow they're also Jesus' body and blood. See, in this sacred ritual, physical and the spiritual overlap. Not because of the pastor's magic hands, but because we are being invited together into a sacred time and place. One of the things we also say during Holy Communion is I'll, I'll say, this is not my table, it's not your table, this table doesn't belong to United Methodist Church, it's the Lord's table. And that it is open to all who truly and earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live a life in communion with God and with one another. See, this table becomes for us the Lord's table. We are invited into a different time and space. When we sit at this table, we are sitting with all who call themselves Christians around the world. We're also sitting with all the Christians who have come before and who shall come after. When we sit at this table, we are entering into a sacred time. We are sitting with the disciples at the Last Supper, hearing Jesus' words, This is my body given for you. This is my blood spilled out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. But more than that, we are feasting with him at his heavenly banquet that will occur when he comes in final victory and makes all things new. Call me crazy, but I truly believe this. I believe this morning we're not merely being invited to play make-believe and pretend that whatever we're eating and drinking is something else. We're being invited into a holy time and place where past and present and future overlap somehow. See, I believe that time and place is set apart and consecrated in the same way that the elements are. Because surely as the bread and juice can become for us the body and blood, the places and times we're taking them in can become for us the Lord's table where we all meet. Jesus told his disciples 2,000 years ago, and he's telling us today, do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. My dad has this thing he likes to say. He says, the opposite of remember isn't forget. The opposite of remember is dismember. The opposite of remember is dismember. Here's what I think that means. See, there's something that happens at this holy meal. We come back together as the body of Christ. 
the limbs that were dismembered during the week are remembered. We're joined together. And this morning, that's especially true. See, even though we're disconnected across time and space, we're being joined back together at the Lord's table. This has always been true, and it is especially true this morning. This morning, I've, I've tried, in my humblest way, to explain how I think the Holy Spirit makes this possible. And I've, I'm afraid I may have fallen short. I don't know whether I've made any sense or, or it's all sounded like a bunch of theological gobbledygook. I think we should probably leave it at this. See, there's an important word we use when we describe the sacrament of Holy Communion. And that word is mystery. Mystery. See, communion is and has always been a holy mystery. Ask two Christians, and you get three different opinions on, on how it all works. But we do know that it does work. That somehow in this moment, we are here but not here. Now but not now. We are at once in our own time and place eating some bread-like carb and drinking juice. And we are at his table being offered his body and his blood. I can't tell you how, but it works. That's the answer to our question this morning. Will it even work? Of course. It will work for us the same way it's worked for Christians for thousands of years. And for our Jewish brothers and sisters thousands of years before us. It will work not because we have this perfect understanding and this perfect practice and we're doing everything right. It will work because God is faithful to meet his children where they're at. And he's too faithful to leave us here. Because God invites us to come to his table through the blood of the Lamb, and he's not going to let a couple of miles and a couple of days get in the way. It's a mystery. I don't know how, but it works. See, though we have been broken and scattered, this morning we are remembered. We are joined together in God's sacred time and space here at this table. So yeah, this will work. But should we even be doing this? Should we even be doing this? See, this isn't the first time we've huddled in our houses and prayed that a deadly plague would pass over us. We've been here before. Remember? We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord our God took us out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Remember? This isn't the first time we've been asked to think about our rituals in a new and challenging way. We've been here before. Remember? 
On the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, gave thanks for it, and offered it to us, saying, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. You've been here before. Remember? This is exactly what we should be doing. In fact, we are commanded to do it. It is a lasting ordinance for us for generations to come. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.